This is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on the world of property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday on um, on our website, uh, propertymatterstv.co.uk, and also uh, live on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn as well. So if you're watching on our website, please leave us a Google review. Uh, if you're watching on social media, get involved in the comments below the video. And our email address, if you'd like to suggest something for us to discuss, is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you don't have time to watch the whole show live, then you're more than welcome to join us on the podcast, which is released at 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. Just uh, go and get it wherever you find your podcasts on a weekly basis and just uh, search Property Matters TV and you'll find it. Also, we're broadcast across the week on Dilse Radio, so we welcome listeners there too. Let's take a look at the weekly property news with Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Yes, good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning to all our viewers and listeners. Uh, and of course, a big thank you for Bob last week joining us from Dubai. I hope you had a very restful week after sitting in the sun um, and of course talking to us about the mortgage world. And of course, it's the mortgage world that is um, quite um, quite up, uh, up in the, uh, the chat points at this moment in time, um, obviously with the interest rate last week. But I'm sure Paul has an abundance of uh, questions for me this morning. Indeed, I do. And it's a, it's a graph session today because we have the uh, January data for the UK house price index. Um, and as we can see, their annual house price inflation is minus 8.8%. Uh, and there's a 12% increase year on year on demand and 21% of sales agreed at a price of more than 10% below the asking price. So it's a bunch of mixed messages. Um, there is a rebound in uh, market activity, but it's coming from a low base. That's the important point to make, I think. Housing demand and sales agreed have um, registered a strong seasonal rebound over the first three weeks of 2024 as sub-5% mortgage rates support market activity, which is what we talked about last week. Buyer demand is 12% higher than a year ago, which remains 13% below the five-year average, so uh, still not a great uh, place to be in, but um, uh, and that does include, of course, the pandemic years of 2021 and 2022. So it's a positive start to the year, reflecting a return to pent-up demand following a weak second half of last year when many buyers delayed moving decisions in the face of rising mortgage rates. All measures of sales activity are up year-on-year, and they reported an increase in sales agreed in the final weeks of 2023, and this trend has continued into the new year. New sales agreed a 13% higher than last year across uh, and higher in other parts of the country as well. This is evidence that buyers and sellers are becoming more aligned on pricing. A greater flow of homes listed for sale also indicates that sellers, uh, um, that sellers, many of whom are also buyers, of course, feel more confident. Overall, supply is 22% higher than last year. Average estate agents has 28 homes for sale on their books, boosting buyers' choice and keeping prices in check. So it's still very much a buyer's market, Joe. Yes, Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course... Uh... <laughs> It's good to have your graph back up there um, and, 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 uh, and, and, ch and challenging me for where it's going. But the reality of it is, uh, it is a buyer's market, Paul. Um, and we can't get away from that at this moment in time. Um, it is um, an opportunity for first-time buyers, especially, I, I think. Uh, investors have kind of gone off track because of the uh, number of buy-to-let people that wanted to come out due to the increase of uh, mortgage rates um, and also uh, um, other taxation uh, questions that they have at this moment. So um, yes, there is a, a little bit of flurry in the interest um, at the beginning of the year so far. Uh, and I, I think most of that's based on 
uh, election fever, really, as, as to what could happen, what couldn't happen. And then, of course, on top of that, it's about what the Bank of England may or may not do. And of course, we know that they didn't do anything this week. So that is, uh, you know, that's a, a standstill. But the lending market, um, as Bob says uh, last week, he's had the, you know, the most um, buoyant January forever. There's a lot of people still out there that want to buy. I mean, that's something that we just are not going to get away from. There is always a demand of people that want to buy. Um, and it's just the case of what fits. Um, and of course, in, in terms of, um, you know, affordability, those are the, are the real tests that are, that are being done. But I think um, all in all, um, the activities there is, is sort of got a little bit of a, 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 a sting in the tail. But as far as, um, as, far as uh, demand is concerned, it is, it is cautious but good. Yeah, we can see that on the screen there. We've got a graph of the uh, the buyer demand, the number of sales agreed, new flow of supply, and also stock of homes for sale. And in each case, as it said in the in the intro there, that uh, everything is up. So buyer demand is up 12%, number of sales agreed up 13%, the flow of new properties is up 14%, and the stock of homes for sale as a result of that, of course, is up 22%. Um, interesting to see that price the biggest price falls have been in the east of England, Joe, and in the southwest. London and the east of England has led the rebound in new buyer demand in the first part of the year. But interestingly, um, other areas are below average increases at the moment. Um, and over the last seven years, London has lagged behind the rest of the UK in terms of sales volumes and price inflation. The price index shows that London house prices have risen just 13% since the start of 2016. It's an interesting prospect. So London has lagged behind the rest of the country, uh, particularly when you think that over that same period in 2016 to now, Wales has gone up by 50%. Um, and at the average across the whole of the UK is up 34%, whereas London, a price of a flat in London since 2016, has gone up by just 2%. There's no, no bad bad things really for those in London, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, but if you, if you look at those sort of 2% by comparison to, you know, Wales, um, the average house price, let's say, is I don't know, four hundred, five hundred thousand pounds. Two percent increase on that in London is a, still a good increase by comparison to something that might be fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand pounds in uh, Wales, and, and and may have a ten percent increase. So it, it kind of levels it out. It's all about the demand, and the demand in London will never ever go away. Of course, over the pandemic years. Um, there was a, a lag in demand because the international buyer was just not able to get across and, and do those things um, and do the purchases. But they have obviously come back um, and it is a buyer's market, so they are buying. Um, and because it's a buyer's market, that price isn't increasing. But I'm pretty certain once we settle down with whoever the um, government will be towards the end of the year, beginning of next, we will find that um, you know the, the true colours will start to come out, whether is a buyer's market continuously or a seller's market yeah we can see on the screen we've got the house price to earnings ratio um, which has got uh, london uh, to the south excluding london midlands north wales and scotland and you can see uh, to take scotland for example the uh, house price to earnings ratio so a house is basically four times four to five times the annual salary in scotland whereas um, in England, currently in London, it's um, around about 13 times the annual salary for a property. But you can see that, the, and that's the maroon colour at the very top of the graph, you can see how that's fall, fallen. But look at that growth from 2008, Joe, up to 2016. 
that's when London really did go crazy in terms of values. And they're suggesting that the, the reason for the fall, as you alluded to there, was that tax changes aimed at investors and overseas buyers. Also, the Brexit vote, of course, did a lot of damage for overseas investment in terms of London. Um, and of course, the jobs growth and the global pandemic also helped to, uh, to, to, to restrain London back, whereas the rest of the country has arguably caught up a little bit but it was a lot closer back in 2008 than it is now and London is still way way ahead with the south of course not far behind it but um, uh, it's interesting to look at that and see how over that period 2008 to 16 how so much London grew. Yes I mean 2016 um, and, and uh, from from then to, till now it has grown a lot and it will continue to grow Paul it's just those particular years that sort of slightly put it back but the demand for London never ever goes away and if you look at that I mean it's such a wide gap isn't it between London mm. and the rest of the country that no matter what time and how many years ago even at the earlier years the graph still shows is a huge gap between London and the rest of the country especially the south and more so the north and perhaps uh, Wales etc so um, you know, for investors and for home buyers, London is always um, the ideal place to go to. The other thing, of course, you have to bear in mind is um, communication. Uh, and if you look at where you said that, you know, the East um, has probably got grown the most of, uh, next to London, all of those things are about communication. It's about how connectivity works through. Uh, I, I, I really can't endorse a lot of the rail system this last week or so with the number of uh, strikes and, and all sorts of things that are causing people mayhem. But uh, the reality of it is that that direct communication from, you know, East Anglia right the way across to, um, you know, Cambridge and then across this way um, into, the, into the West, all of those things make it, you know, make London the most viable, even from north to south, you know, from Manchester right the way down to, to London in, in commuter time. At the moment, even though, you know, the uh, the high speed rail network is still, you know, uh, uh, under construction, it still shows that the number of people that are prepared to travel from the north down to the south um, and, and be in London for maybe even two, three times a week just to, to be part of the city uh, buzz. So and, and other cities haven't actually got the same attraction, irrespective of the amount of energy that goes into it, like Manchester, Leeds and so forth. It's still London that leads the way, no matter what happens um, in any climate, any economy and any colour. They're suggesting over the, re the rest of this year that affordability in London will get better. They reckon that earnings will rise faster than the house prices in London, which is going to be good news, particularly as we've still got you know high mortgage rates. And as you say, the higher value of the property means it's always a stretch and a squeeze to get to that. Uh, the rebound in activity in the first weeks of 2024 is positive news. Uh, and we have a graph on that, I do believe, uh, Joe, if I can just uh, find it here for you. Uh, yeah, there we are. So we can see now on the chart here that at the very end of the chart on the far right hand side we've got January 2024 there and you can see that there's a big uptick from um, demand on the demand index where uh, prices have been falling steadily through January uh, 23 to the end of the last year and then all of a sudden right back up to uh, to, to, to sort of parity again uh, at this point in time so there's has been a big uptick um, and that's 
largely due to the fact that mortgage rates, of course, fell to 4.2% over um, uh, over that period of time, which uh, supported sales volumes and led to firmer pricing uh, as towards the end of the year. Um, so uh, the fact that there is an expectation that mortgage rates will drop further, that's boosting the uh, the optimism in the market, one would suggest, Joe. Yes, I mean, the mortgage rate, uh, you know, just, just to be uh, absolutely clear, the mortgage, the Bank of England base rate is still 5.25. That has not changed. And, you know, we have discussed this many a times. And I, I think that, you know, it'll be hard pushed. I know uh, optimism says it's going to come down by maybe another percent. And as, as Bob said last, last week, he reckons that by the end of the year, it will come down a further one um, percent. I kind of feel that it will probably stay around 5%. You might get to 4.75, but you're certainly going to get around 5% as the average. The fixed rate options are the options that are being floated around a lot. So the 4%, the 4.5% at the moment are the long-term fixed rates that are being offered. That's what makes it a little bit more attractive in terms of um, why, where people can actually say, okay, well, affordability-wise, over the next five years, if I fixed my rate um, over the next five years, that is something that I can afford to do and then see what the market does. So, yes, certainly that is um, penting up demand quite a lot and, and, and it's probably what keeps the mortgage brokers busy at this moment. Um, but the reality of it is the, the base rate is still where it is. Um, and you know, it's up to the lenders. Now, a lot of the lenders are feeling optimistic about that, especially with the inflation rate coming down. But that's not down to the levels that they want to expect it to be. I'm sure magically it will be just by the by the time the election comes. Um, but for, for now, not that I'm, I'm, I'm a pessimist, but I just think that they'll have it conjured up and it all of a sudden magically it'll be 2%, which is what the target is, um, conveniently for, for the purpose of election. But from my point of view, the rate is exactly where it is. And I think there's a good opportunity for first time buyers, especially now, um, to get on that property ladder, to go and fix your rates at the best you can um, and sit back and wait and, and find that your capital growth will start to happen probably over the next five years. Zupla say that there are a number of factors that uh, will keep uh, prices in check over this year. Firstly, a greater supply of homes for sale will provide buyers with more choice, especially for larger family homes. Secondly, half of those with a mortgage are yet to refinance onto higher rates. This is important as many would-be buyers are upsizers who will need a larger mortgage to move to a bigger home. So higher repayments will ensure buyers remain price sensitive and focused on value for money. And thirdly, the data shows that we're still in a buyer's market. A small but not insignificant number of sellers continue to cut asking prices to make sure homes attract buyer interest, continuing the trend from 2023. And furthermore, one in five sellers are still having to accept more than 10% off the asking price to agree a sale. It's close to one in four across London and the southeast and rising across the rest of the UK. So sellers must continue to price realistically, they say, if they're serious about moving in 2024. Improved market conditions will boost the chances of a sale, but sellers shouldn't expect to list at a higher asking price. So there's a general acceptance of realism in the market that's suggesting, I guess, Joe? Well, look, uh, let's just rewind that tape for a minute and go back to the pandemic years and how the market went absolutely gaga when the, the race for space and every other terminology that was around COVID came into play, um, everybody started to buy property. Property was the only favorite and flavor subject of the day. 
Um, and we forget that, you know, there was an increase up to 23 to 25% almost in some parts of the country uh, based on supply and demand. Well, you know, if you're having to cut your cloth accordingly, even at a 10% reduction, it's not a price uh, loss. It's actually maybe more of a correction to what the reality was, because it is based on supply and demand. And the demand is, is still now by the first time buyers. The demand is off the scale for investors because of other situations. So yes, if you're having to correct your price by five, six, seven, ten percent in order to make that sale, you're not actually losing out by comparison to maybe 2018, 2019, so forth. You're still making money. It's just that that, but it's relative to what you're going to move to as well. So it's not as if like you're saying to yourself, "Oh my God, I'm losing ten percent of my bottom line." you're also gaining 10% on the one perhaps you're going to go and buy to. So it, it levels itself out, Paul. But yes, of course, uh, uh, there, there is going to be a correction in the marketplace. They say that it was always going to take more than a year to uh, adjust to these new higher mortgage rates. Um, and that's what they're seeing in the market right now. But they're suggesting that rather than big rises in prices this year, there's going to be big rises in the number of sales of houses. So they reckon there's going to be more sales this year, which should be good for the market. And certainly for the, um, I should imagine now, cash-strapped estate agents who've not been uh, getting a lot of volume that they were used to in previous years. Uh, let's move on to another topic, completely uh, different um, from, from what we've just been discussing, and something we've never discussed before, and this is about the modern methods of construction, or MMC market. So the government's not uh, come up with an approach, says a letter that was sent to uh, Michael Gove, which fully supports the use of modern methods of construction for house building. This is... Um, what a parliamentary committee has said. The Built Environment Committee published a letter written to Housing Secretary Michael Gove in which it questioned the government's understanding of the costs of MMC, said there was limited confidence that there was a coherent plan to encourage the construction method, which meant the government strategy could not be scrutinised. The committee said, as the government pointed to MMC as central to housing delivery and had invested money in it, this position was very disappointing. So that led me to think, well, I've not actually heard of the phrase MMC, so I googled it and had a look and um, largely it's um, what we often see on some of these property programs on television when people build these modular houses um, and and these modern ways of building um, houses that are smart and efficient and things come pre-made from somewhere else and it's all clipped together on the site that's my layman's understanding I'm sure you can give me a more <laughs> precise assessment Joe uh, Lego comes to my mind, actually, ah, probably yes. the uh, <laughs> easiest way of, of describing these MMC scenarios. Uh, so a uh, modern method of construction. Um, look, the reality of it is we're not geared up for it in the United Kingdom. We never have been. It's uh, it's one of those uh, grand design is what you were looking for as the, as the program. Grand yeah, design right. are, the, are the people that come up with these amazing, um, uh, you know, unbelievable houses and people spend their life savings trying to put it together um, and and a lot of painstaking time. So it's, it's a great program. And of course, I do watch it every so often to see what kind of mess people are making of their lives and also the properties that they're trying to build. But the reality is the United Kingdom is not um, actually geared up for that kind of thing. We're not into modular, we're not into Lego apart from Windsor uh, where, where, where there is a Lego land. Um, the rest of it, it just doesn't stack. Too many issues, too many problems. 
um, that come in. So let me list a couple of those just to sort of share with our, our viewers and listeners here. Uh, first and foremost, um, green belt policy creates a huge problem for such things. Um, to try and um, build in a perhaps a what they call um, uh, an area of natural beauty uh, where construction cannot happen to vary other homes uh, to make sure that they keep certain sort of images. Uh, planning itself um, causes a huge issue. And then, of course, we don't have the builder or the building materials or the builder types that can go out and build such beautiful grand design homes of our desire. You always have to hire in people at much, much higher costs from other parts of the world to come in. So something like Huff Houses come to my mind, which are modular uh, properties, nice looking properties, full of glass, uh, don't always fit into the environment that we kind of live in. Um, and, but there's a, another issue that really causes a problem with these things, and that's borrowing and structural surveys and so forth. Our surveyors are not designed to understand these, these properties. So caution comes in. Uh, people buy, uh, you know, these on, on bridging loans and finances because most high street lenders are not geared up to provide uh, mortgages on these types of properties. And to make matters worse, you might have bought it and done it cash, but then refinancing it if you decide that you want to sell it becomes another challenge. So they, this modern method of construction on a small island, which is full of beauty, natural areas and green belt and all sorts of other restrictions really doesn't lend too much space for um, the grand design types of house, which is why the MMC is not successful. Now in places where there's more space, more country space available, more diverse type of building, take anywhere else in the world, you know, um, you can find, I mean, the United States is full of these sort of things. Um, and, and you can, you know, make these modular type of homes pretty much anywhere, a lot of Europe, lots of European European areas are full of these modulars. They try to bring these modular type of homes into perhaps um, airspace, which means that you can have the flat or the or the property built off um, the, uh, the site, built in a factory somewhere, um, and then bring, bring, them, bring it back on the back of a lorry and then stick it up on the top of the roof and so forth. But the reality of all of those things, especially with modular, is that even the factories that are making it are not making it enough and most of them are going bust because they just don't have the demand uh, for this type of uh, property. So the government is really um, spending time and energy on, on things that they really can't deal with. You know, if they just, you know, the old adage of why fix something that's not broke? If they just do what they're supposed to do and build houses with bricks and, you know, standard stuff that we know that we're allowed to do, I mean, I've got an instruction right now where, where a client had built um, a property um, with um, like a Meccano set from uh, China. So the idea was that, uh, you know, they'll come in and they'll have this modular type of uh, property, um, which was built. Um, and in all honesty, he buried about 80,000, 90,000 into the ground. Um, then COVID came, the pieces did come over from China but ironically, during that period of COVID, the, um, some of the pieces didn't fit. Um, so, of course, the, the project stood still to such a point that it's now having to just be sold without that modular, which is all on the floor, because nobody could actually do with it. Now, to try and get, get that steel taken away 
is another job. So it just becomes really expensive um, and unprofitable, un, uh, unviable in every possible way. And I just don't think that we're cut out for it in the UK. Everyone that I've seen pretty much has been pretty much a disaster. If you take the grand design program and those that are watching and listening, who I'm sure have watched these things, you will see the pitfalls that every builder or every person that's had a dream about building the most eco-friendly, the most economic, the most glass, the most curves, the most waves and most shapes that they come up with. It just is not doable. It takes way longer and time is money. Yeah, you often find that the people that do those kind of designs are people that are in that industry and uh, and specialise in those fields anyway. Uh, Bob, Bob mentions that there is specialist types of mortgages now emerging on the market to catch up with this. And But the, but the Built Environment Committee do say there is definitely a risk aversion, particularly from insurers. And there's a lack of clarity from the government around what the building regulations actually are. Um, and they even say there's contradictory evidence as to whether they're any more expensive or any less expensive than doing it the traditional way. Um, but certainly uh, commercial businesses have not really uh, taken up on this in any great um, amount. But of course, the government have actually said that a part of, as part of the Affordable Homes Programme, uh, uh, MMC builders have to build a certain percentage of these homes into the Affordable Homes Programmes. And some of those uh, housing associations have actually embraced it and got on and got on with it and done it and, and have had reasonable amounts of success but I think what the committee is saying is why hasn't this been rolled out um, uh, and adopted on a more wider basis because as you pointed out Joe it's actually very very popular in Europe. Well I mean let's just wind that tape for a minute I mean going back to the government's policy about um, saying that they want to do uh, affordable housing you know back in the late 70s um, 60s, 70s, and some some parts of 80s, they built what they call steel frame homes. And Bob will tell you now that there's probably one, if not possibly maximum two lenders that are actually prepared to lend on those steel framed homes now. Um, they just weren't cut out for ordinary lending. Surveyors are not qualified enough to understand those. So they'll put a million caveats on there just to make sure that their indemnity policy isn't in, uh, isn't in a harm's way. And, and so with that in mind, most lenders will be cautious in lending. So yes, the government can turn around and say, we want to build these modular homes, you know, stack them up very quickly um, and, and finish them. But when people turn around and say, well, actually, I'd like to buy one of those, or, or the housing association turns around and says, you can do a, a part purchase with us, uh, a shared ownership for argument's sake, or, or you can buy it outright at the end of a certain term they then can't get the finance for those types of properties. So it might look cheaper at the beginning to put them together, but actually in the long term, they don't actually give you the comfort, the security, and actually also uh, the return on investment. Because if somebody is built one of these properties and then somebody buys it, and then the next person can't get a mortgage on it, it's, it's really not gonna be a good investment. So. Um, I think the government really need to rethink about what they want to do or how they should do it. But I just have not seen a successful story so far in my 43, 43 years of property where I can say to you that that particular modular type of home is the way to go um, in the UK. Yes, perhaps all over Europe it works. Their, their models are different. They have the space. They have the vision. I always think that these are normally designed for architects to win awards. 
I did something really fantastic and stupid and look at it and so therefore that makes me you know a great architect and I'm going to pop at the architect but that's how they look at it they say it's their win but unfortunately it's not practical yeah they say that the uh, startup costs in reality are quite high and that's being passed on to customers and then obviously on to um the government in, ter in terms of subsidies and so on they also say that they've literally just rather uh, rather than they just throw money at it and actually what they should have done really is to come up with a set of guidelines on how it should be properly funded uh, and and how it should have been approached and uh, that's why the commercial market hasn't really uh, adopted it in any large numbers but um, certainly they say it has shown promise but it needs greater guidance from the government so We'll see what happens with uh, Mr. Gove and his department, um, who we tend to speak about quite a lot on this show. <laughs> Let's move to our final story this week. Our old favourite stamp duty, Joe. Not surprisingly, record receipts in the last 12 months. The tax take from stamp duty has increased to pre-pandemic levels, you'll be pleased to hear. At 15.4 billion, up from 14 billion the previous year, despite what high mortgage rates and average buyer paying 9,937 pounds, two thirds of the transactions were residential purchases, accounting for 11.7 billion of receipts. So now we uh, we pay on average, Joe, 9,937 pounds in stamp duty, or certainly we did in 22-23, remaining below the 11,202 recorded the year before. And yet, uh, somewhat surprisingly, given the fragile state of the housing market, total residential tax takes surprisingly increased um, by over 1.5 billion from 10 billion uh, from the 2021-22 period. For the final quarter of last year, uh, however, the figure dropped significantly down 25% on the corresponding quarter in 2022. <coughs> So we're paying 10 grand each, Joe, for our stamp duty. Once again, it looks like the property owner is being targeted, dare I say. Well, you know, we, we yes, it's an old, an old subject that comes back and back again. They're never going to drop this idea. It's free money. Why would the government actually think about, you know, saying, oh, well, actually, we feel good now. Let's just drop the stamp duty. It's just not, never going to happen. It's a dream, a pipe dream, in my opinion. Yes, they, they use it as a little yo-yo every so often. You know, drop the stamp duty percentage for a short period for the first time buyers, etc. But the reality is, it's free money. They get it all the time because the public, the British public and our mentality, our state of mind and our way of living here in the United Kingdom is that we want to own our own home. Ultimately, that is the ultimate dream, no matter what happens. Even now, whilst the rental market is buoyant, people want to get out of the rental market as quickly as possible because it's cheaper for them in most cases if they can stack up and borrow the money from, from a bank to have a mortgage, which is lesser monthly commitment than it is on the rental market, where which the rental market's gone absolutely haywire because people have found it hard to go and borrow the money in the first place. So constantly there's going to be a, a, a positive towards property purchase. It's part of why we exist as a programme. It's part of why our, our, our DNA says at, around the dinner table pretty much every other conversation you talk about. I don't think I actually have a conversation with pretty much anyone that doesn't relate in some point at some part of that discussion about what's the housing market doing and where I'd like to live and what are my dream home is going to be. And so it's just the top subject or one of the top subjects right up there. Um, and that's never going to change. It's never changed in the last 40 odd years. And, and I'm sure people like Bob and Guy will tell you that these are these are the you know, these these are the demands that people have. 
and we've had the ups and downs of what the housing market does, but housing market will continue um, irrespective of where it is because ultimately we have a desire to own our own home. So the government will ultimately have a desire to take charges £10,000 for every time you want to buy a home. Well, stamp duty receipts have been understandably volatile in recent years because obviously we had the, the pandemic. So in the tax year 22-23, they, as we've said, it's 15.4 billion, which is up 9.2% on the previous year. The latest finalised HMRC figures show that receipts for 21-22, so that's the pandemic tax year, increased by 63%. So that's the race for space, basically, Joe. So it, yeah. receipts on stamp duty were up 63% to 14.1 billion from 8 billion the year before. So 63% increase. And interestingly, stamp duty earned just 3.68 billion for the Treasury in 2000 to 2001. So the take in 22-23 represents a fourfold nominal increase in just over two decades. So stamp duty's quadrupled in 20 years. Well, I mean, there, there, there lies the answer, doesn't it, Paul, of, of, of why we exist as a programme and why the property market continues to do. Um, the government is never going to let that go. So, yes, you know, we have these four, five or 10% price reductions and we kick and scream about, oh my God, you know, I'm losing money on my property. But the reality of it is we're not because they are continue to have sales. They are continue to people that want to move. There's a continued investment. There's a continued demand on people wanting to buy their first home. And with that, the government will continue to cash in from those wishes and wants that we have that uh, everybody wants to try and have their own home. So, uh, you know, just those numbers tell you the story on its own uh, for those that are listening and, and viewing that, you know, don't sit back. I've always said, people will say, when's the right time to buy? I always say, now. <laughs> you know, basically, if you leave it another year, you'd be going back, I wish I'd bought it a year ago. I can tell you, I've got people that will say, I wish I bought it 40 years ago. So, you know, the reality is there's no ever the right time. The right time is when you can afford it, you can get your borrowing, go and buy there is one factor, of course, that I'd forgotten about, and I suspect it's probably at the back of your mind somewhere as well, Joe, because we'd forgotten that land tax or stamp duty is uh, set to increase in March 2025 because currently we pay stamp duty over the value of 250000 But this is going to be halved again, uh, back to 125000 in uh, March 2025. So more and more people are going to, of course, have to pay more as a result of the ceiling, the threshold being lowered. And I can see that uh, leading to um, a rush to get your property bought by March 2025 because they're going to lose, um, they're going to pay extra stamp duty after that, aren't they? Well, they brought it down. It, what it used to be, what it, it used to be 125, and then they increased yeah. the threshold during the period of, of pandemic right. and trying to make that thing happen it was set a target that by 2025 that will fall back i'm pretty confident that what will happen is um they will leave that where it is because you know whilst there'll be a rush to to buy properties which will give a, a false inflation in the short term of, of values and so forth in order to sustain some sort of stability i would imagine that they will probably just keep that at the 250, uh, whoever comes in uh, into 2025, they would be foolhardy to think that it's good to go and increase that threshold or sorry, decrease that threshold and stop people buying for whoever enters in 2025, 20, end of 24, 25. 
Um, so I can imagine that they'll probably hold that. Um, but then you know what? Life is full of surprises. And it's no surprise that we're at the end of our time, Joe. So thank you very much indeed for your <laughs> your comments and contribution as always. Thank you for watching Property Matters. We'll be back with another Property Matters very soon.